I don't know how many of you guys uh, saw the article this week. It was in the Washington Times, it was on Fox News, it was on multiple media outlets. And I'm just going to read it. An Oklahoma woman is being credited for a novel approach to retrieving her stolen wallet. Jessica Eves told Yahoo she was at her local grocery when, quote, I saw this gentleman down the aisle from me. He walked behind me, and when I got a couple of aisles over, I realized my wallet was gone. Rather than summon police, the Guthrie mother of four reportedly says she, quote, spotted him in a crowded aisle and approached. I said to him, I think you have something of mine. I'm going to give you a choice. You can either give me my wallet, and I'll forgive you right now, and I'll even take you to the front and pay for your groceries, or I can call the police. She made the offer. He reached into his hoodie pocket and gave me my wallet, she said. The United Way worker recounted that he started crying when we walked up to the front. He said he was sorry about 20 times by the time he went from the pickle aisle to the front. He told me he was desperate. She reportedly wound up spending $27 on groceries for the man, including milk, bread, bologna, crackers, soup, and cheese. The last thing he said was, I'll never forget tonight. I'm broke. I have kids. I'm embarrassed and I'm sorry. She closed by saying, some people are critical because I didn't turn them in. Sometimes all you need is a second chance. I thought that kind of generosity, that kind of grace to give someone a second chance is really what this time of year is all about. Really what our lives ought to be about when we look at at Jesus. And this morning, I want to teach a very short passage from the book of Acts that we'll probably unpack a little bit more when we get into the new year. But it's in Acts chapter 20. It's at the end of the period where Paul traveled around and spent time with churches, and he was about to go on a journey to Jerusalem where he knew he would be persecuted, and we know that most likely from a historical perspective, he would eventually be sent to Rome and executed. So it's sort of a farewell conversation with the elders from the church of Ephesus. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 20, we want to start at verse 32, and we're just going to read 32 through 35. You can imagine the emotion of the moment. In some ways, it's similar to Jesus' own last supper with his own disciples before he would head to the cross. That kind of feel here. Lots of emotion. Verse 32. He says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He starts there. He says, I'm leaving. I'm going to lay you down in God's hands and leave you in the good care of him and the word of his grace. The core of that word of grace, as we, as we know, is that Jesus came, lived the perfect life that we could not, died in our place and rose again. That's the foundation on which they would need to hold. 
But then he goes on to make an application from that. Once we hold on to that word of grace, if, if we like God's generosity, he gives them something to do about it. He says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. Check this out. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Hold on to God's generosity. Hold on to his word. And as you do, let that transform your life to live out what Jesus said is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, this statement of Jesus is kind of cool. Most of you guys know that we don't have everything Jesus said in our New Testament. The Apostle John said, if he wrote down everything that Jesus did and said, the, the world cannot hold the, the volumes of the books. This statement that Paul shares is not in our New Testament. And it evidently was passed down orally. You know, people had said that, I heard Jesus say this. And it makes you wonder, what other things did Jesus say that uh, we don't have? This is one of those special statements. It, it could have been lost at the bottom of the ocean of time, but Paul sort of yanked it up, tells us that out of Jesus' own lips, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So what's that mean? What it doesn't mean is that the person who receives, the person in need, is somehow automatically less blessed than the person who gives. It's not setting up a, a situation where the givers are the blessed ones and those who receive are not. That, that would not reflect Jesus' heart. What it, heart. what it does mean is that if we have the ability to give, and all of us do, sometimes it's money, sometimes it's time, sometimes it's sharing the gospel, sometimes it's giving forgiveness, if we have the ability to give and we do that, we're more blessed than if we have the ability to give and we somehow hoard, hoard it and don't give and just continue to add to it for our own benefit. If we have the resources but hold back, we're, we're missing out on a blessing. And I thought this morning, since, since Paul pulls out a a phrase of Jesus that's not in our New Testaments and shows us God's generous heart. I wanted to look at some of the things that are in our New Testament that, that Jesus said about giving. Just to give us a foundation. I know we think about it a lot this time of year, but also just for, for the rest of our lives. Let's, let's get this biblical foundation for giving. So, so as I share, you know, this time of year we often think about the little baby in the manger. As well we should, but we're going to hear words from his mouth as he grew up and what he had to say, he being the ultimate gift. What, what did he say about giving? One of the things he talked about was, was the motive for giving. First uh, John in the New Testament says that we love because God first loved us, right? Jesus talks about God's giving in John 3.16, he was having a nighttime talk with Nicodemus, and we all know the verse. I saw it between the field goal posts last night as my Buckeyes lost. 
John 3, 16. Jesus' own words. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. If there's ever a motive for us to give, it's when we look at a God who says, I will send my son from heaven into this world on a rescue mission after you. Now, I know that in this room, there are different kinds of people. There are those who are more inclined towards a motivation like that, the love, the, the emotion of it, the uh, whatever you want to call it, the pathos of it. There are others that are naturally wired to be much more practical. And we need all kinds of people, okay? I, b- I believe that. We need different kinds of thinkers. Bible, if, if the love thing, the love of God doesn't drive you, if that doesn't strike a heart chord with you, let me talk to you about some things that Jesus said that if you want to make the best investment with what you have, if you want to do the smart thing with what you have, if you want to do the efficient thing with what you have, Jesus says in three passages at least that I want to point out, giving is the smart investment. Point one is in Matthew chapter 6. We'll go to verse 19. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying, the stuff you buy here is one day going to be destroyed. The the material possessions we have are going to be destroyed. The stuff you do for God and His kingdom and giving to Him and giving to others, it's going to last forever. You want to make a smart investment that's going to give you some eternal dividends? He says, store up your treasures in heaven. Not here. There's a gravestone in a cemetery that, that said this. It said, what I gave, I kept. What I kept, I lost. Be good for us to take that to heart while we're alive, wouldn't it? That, that eternal perspective that Jesus gives us. So if you want to make the smart investment, you take Jesus' words to heart. Luke chapter 12, 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure 
for himself and is not rich toward God. And this speaks to us when we, when we fall into the trap that says, I'll be generous later. I'll be generous after my school loans are paid off. I'll be generous when I'm retired. I'll be generous when, when, when. And what he says to this man here is, your life is demanded of you today. We, none of us know how much time we have left on this earth. He said, be, be generous towards God and his kingdom now. And we know that when he, we talk about being generous towards God, Jesus himself said, hey, when you, when you feed the, the hungry, you take them water, you clothe them, you visit them, it's as though you do it to him. Don't wait. He tells another parable about this that's kind of strange on the surface. You read it and you're like, did Jesus really say that? Like, did I read that right or do I got a bad version? At first, just catches us off guards. This also drives home the point that it's just smart to have a giving heart. Luke chapter 16. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager or a steward. He worked for him. And charges were brought to him that the manager was wasting his possessions. The rich man called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. So he's in this predicament, right? Verse 4, he comes to a conclusion of what he's going to do. I have decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. He wants to make sure he's got some friends, right? And some, some people that are going to take care of him when he loses his job. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. In other words, cut, cut, cut your bill in half. Just pay me that. And then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. Take 20% off. Master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. This is where it gets kind of weird coming out of Jesus' mouth. Master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Then he gets to the point, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. How many of you think that Jesus is telling us to go out in our business place and be dishonest? It'd be a hard sell when you read the rest of the Bible, right? You've got to take things in context. What he is saying is that just as the dishonest manager came up with a creative way to make sure that he was taken care of when he lost his job, he, he used wealth to set up a favorable situation for himself. Jesus says, hey, use your wealth to make friends that will welcome you into eternal dwellings. The way I take that is, hey, as, as you use your time, resources, energy to bless people, to take the gospel to them in tangible ways and in word, and 
And as God does, he draws them to eternal life. And, and even as you bless other people that are in the church already, it's going to be a day when you get to heaven and you're walking down the street, the streets of gold, and they're in their, their, their part of the mansion or their own mansion or whatever, and they say, hey, come on in here. You remember that time? I'm, I know things were tight for you at the time, but you, you, you went over the top and you, and you reached into my world and, and you blessed me. Thank you. Or you used your money to give towards the kingdom of God. And as a result of that, I came to know Jesus as my Savior. That's why I'm here. Let's sit down and enjoy each other for a while. 500 years or 1,000 years. We got time. It strikes our ears funny at, at, at the beginning. But he says, hey, use your wealth to make, make friends that will welcome you into eternal dwelling. So not only is there a, a heart motive, God's love. It just makes more sense. Investing in God's kingdom is what lasts. We don't know how much more time we have and we want to think eternally. Bottom line with all this, Jesus knows it. And that's why he talks about it when it comes to, to giving. It demands us to trust. It demands us to trust. Every bit as much as Peter on the boat Stepping out onto those waves and keeping his eyes on Jesus. G giving does that to us. Maybe you've been in that situation where God laid it on your heart to, to give of your time or your resources or your gifts. and All the questions that come up immediately. Because we're doing the math. <laughs> Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Listen, your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Do we believe that? Seek First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Application, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Motive, God's own love. It's smart, it makes sense. What it requires us, of us is a simple, radical trust 
in God. I want to close by focusing on the ultimate gift, Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in his letter to the Ephesians, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. And when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those, to buy us back, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons, and I'd say daughters. And as we think about the, the baby in the manger, all of us have been around babies. You see those little tiny hands, those little t tiny feet, and you, you imagine the joy in that stable of Mary and Joseph, and, and you look at those same hands and same feet and realize that they, he would grow into a, a man, and those same hands and feet would one day be nailed to a cross because of God's love for us. The, the ultimate generosity. Paul described it one other way in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. He said, you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, you know his grace, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. So where do we go from here? Well, I'd like us if we all just took a moment, let's, let's go before God. An attitude of thankfulness for his own generosity, just take a moment and, and express it to him. In your own heart, quietly between you and God, thank him for his incredible generosity. And I'd like you to also ask him, Father, in light of your generosity, what's one place, one person, one life in my sphere that you're calling on me to give to? Maybe it's money. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's sharing the good news of the gospel. Maybe it's someone that you need to give forgiveness to. Ask him to show you right now who that is. As he begins to make that clear, and maybe it's been clear for some time, I'd encourage you now to just ask him for the strength and the trust. Say, yes, Lord. I'll pass it on. I'll trust you. I'll follow you. Feels like stepping out on the waves, but I'll step out. Lord, thank you for being so generous. Continue to lead us in generosity. Give us the trust and the faith to follow you as you call us to opportunities to serve and give. Uh, Lord, even as we take our offering this morning, I pray that we'd give 
hilariously, as Paul says, with whatever you lay on our hearts to give, not grudgingly or not out of a sense of guilt or compulsion, God, but just freely acknowledging that we trust you and we want this to go to advance your kingdom in our community and beyond. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.